So the passage I'd like us to read this morning <clears throat> is really my favorite one around Thanksgiving. I try to read it with my family uh, every Thanksgiving day. It's Luke chapter 17. It's a story you may have heard if you've been in church a while. Uh, it's a story of ten men being healed, but one man coming back to give thanks to God. Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. Would you stand with me when we read the scripture together? Love to do that. Luke 17, I'm going to start reading in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria, Samaria and Galilee. And as Jesus entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. <clears throat> your faith has made you well. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for authoring it. Thank you for promising to move in our lives with it to open our hearts and minds and bodies and bless us to give us healing like these men got through your word. Lord, grant that to us today and may we be thankful as we receive this. May you meet us here. May you overwhelm us, Lord, with a faith that has deep, lasting gratitude toward you. Father, I freely admit, and maybe my brothers and sisters have the same problem. Father, I am often not thankful. I am often more like the nine men who just kept going rather than the one man who came back to say thank you. Father, forgive me for that. Forgive us collectively for that. Father, change us today. Make us your thankful people in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so if I ask you, Thank you so much. If I asked you, what is your biggest struggle in being a Christian? Like if you're somebody who's newly seeking out the Christian faith, and I said, what's your biggest challenge in terms of starting this thing with Jesus? Or if you're a longtime Christian, have been in the church a long time, what is your biggest struggle in going on with Jesus? Um, what would you say, you know? Um, we might say, I got this problem with lust, or I've got this problem with envy, or I've got this problem with anger. You might have some besetting sin that is always on top of you and, and really makes you struggle to follow Jesus. Maybe it is, you know, <clears throat> I've really got this illness, or my loved one near to me, my wife, or my child, or my parent has this really bad illness, and it's killing me, and um, I just need God to do something about this. 
Maybe it is, I don't have a job or I've got a job and it's a hard job and it doesn't provide for my family. Um, or I'm retired and, or I'm disabled and I don't have enough income and I really need God to step into that and help me with that. There are all kinds of problems like that, right, that are so real. But I want to suggest that another huge problem in being a Christian is thankfulness. Or we might say thanklessness. So many of us struggle with this. You know, the early Christians, they were, they were really in tune with this problem. So they called communion, <clears throat> which you'll celebrate every first Sunday when I talk to Hutch, right? When you have communion, you know what the first Christians called communion? Eucharist. That's a Greek word that means great thanksgiving. They were saying, we need to be reminded every time we take communion how much there is for us to be thankful for. We need to be overwhelmed with great thanksgiving that Jesus has died for us. And we actually get to eat and drink the benefits of his death as we mysteriously eat and drink his body and blood given for us. See, the early church got that. we got to call this thing great thanksgiving because we struggle to be as thankful as we ought. You know, you might have heard of the seven deadly sins. We got this list, right, that came from the early church. Well, the Western church came up with this list of seven deadly sins of pride, and envy, and anger, and lust, and greed, and gluttony, and sloth. That's the seven deadlies that come down to us. It really, the first list started on the Eastern side of the church. And they had an eighth one, and it was thanklessness, ungodly sadness. Because those Christians said, you know what? We shouldn't be ungrateful, but we are. And this is a huge struggle for us, and it can really cripple our lives in walking with Jesus. Think about how the Bible talks about this. Do you remember the story when Moses is helping Israel Right before they're going into the land, when he's sort of reminding them everything that God has done for them in Deuteronomy, he says, now, you know what? When you get over there, I'm not going with you, but when you get over there and you live in cities that you didn't build and you live behind walls that will protect you that you didn't raise up and you eat crops that you didn't grow and you pick fruit and enjoy it from trees that you did not plant, Remember that God gave you all of this and be thankful. But Moses says something haunting to them too. He says, you know what? You're not going to do that very well. <laughs> if you've ever read through Deuteronomy, it's just kind of like, oh. He's like sort of forecasting that you're going to struggle with this. You're going to forget God. The New Testament does it too, right? <clears throat> what does Paul say in every one of his letters? Hey, Take every burden that you have and give it to God and give thanks. By prayer and supplication, lift it all to God with thanksgiving. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts and minds and be thankful. See, this is hard for us. Why? Because we so easily forget all that God has done for us in Jesus, all that he continues to do for us to bring his mercy and blessing into our lives. I want to look at this story with you 
this morning at a time of year where our culture even says to us, most of the time, <clears throat> the church has to push against the culture, right? This is the time of year where actually the church can say to the culture, you got it right, let us help you take it to the one true God in and through Jesus. We, aren't, we shouldn't just be these nebulous, thankfully people, you know, out there just sort of casting little gratitude out into the wind. We ought to take real thankfulness to the one true God who has given us everything we need in Jesus. And I want you to just think about that with this story with me this morning. I want you to think about the man who said thank you. The one guy who came back to say thank you to Jesus so that we can, by God's grace, become like him ourselves. What was it about him? The first thing he had was he had eyes to see. He had eyes to see what there was to give thanks for, okay? Let's go back and do the story again. Where's Jesus? He's passing in this village between Judea and Samaria. So he's in, in the territory that is officially a part of ancient Israel and this other territory that used to be part of their enemy's world, the Syrians, Samaria, was this area that was on the border, the edge of Israel, and had been repopulated um, with all kinds of people after Israel had been in exile. And so Jesus is there. Good, good Jews weren't supposed to be there, but he's there. And he's walking into this village, and these ten guys, right, stand at a distance, far away from him, and say, Jesus, have mercy on us. Why are they staying far away? Because they've got leprosy. Okay? Leprosy was, in the ancient world, a death sentence. It meant that your skin would rot away, you were going to die physically, your skin would slowly, eventually, completely rot away to such an extent that you were going to die. It meant that you socially were dead because the thing was so contagious that you had to have this distance between you and everybody else. You had to live in leper colonies. You had to leave your families. You had to go be quarantined with these people. You know, only your whole life was surrounded by this disease. And so you lost everything. You lost your family. You lost your home. You lost connection and community. You lost your ability to go to church with people. You lost everything. So there's a physical death going on. There's a social death going on. And there's a burden that maybe underneath this and behind this is a spiritual death. Because in all the stories of the Old Testament, leprosy is this picture of God's judgment. Moses' sister, Miriam, gets angry at God and gets angry at her brother. And God says, you know what? I'm going to strike you with leprosy for a season to chastise you, to discipline you. And the whole camp has to wait for Miriam to get over her leprosy. She has to live outside by herself. There is the, one of the best kings that after the time of David and Solomon that the nation of Judah has is Uzziah. But Uzziah wants to be both king and priest. And he goes into the temple and he says, put away all God's laws. I'm going to be a priest too. The priest says, no, no, no. God wants a separation here. He says, no, no, no. I'm going to be priest too. And he swings the censer in the temple and God strikes him with leprosy. He lives 50 years as king. And the vast majority of that, like 40 of those years, 
He has to live off by himself in his separate quarters because he's got leprosy. See, there are these pictures throughout the Bible that leprosy is more than just a disease and more than something that separates you. It is at least an expression of God's judgment on sin and rebellion against him. So that's what these guys have. And they're over there away. But they cry out to Jesus, have mercy on us. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, from his distance over here, says, hey, go show yourselves to the priest. He's, he's offering them hope. The only reason you would go show yourself to a priest if you were a leper is because you thought you were healed. Because that's how you came back in the community. That's how you had a sense that you were getting your life back. The priest would say, you can go back and live in the community. You can go back to your family. You can come back to worship. You can be free of the sense of God's judgment on you. So Jesus is offering them something amazing by saying, go show yourselves to the priest. And so these guys go, right? And all of them see that they are cleansed. All of them see that something has happened to their skin. But one man, what does the story say? Sees that he is healed. Luke's a doctor. And he loves language. And he loves medical terms. And he uses a word here, not just for cleansing of the leprosy going away, but of thoroughgoing body and soul healing. One guy sees all that Jesus has done for him. And so he has to go back and give thanks. How about you? How about me? What can we see? What kind of vision do we have of what Jesus has done for us? See, to be a Christian is at its heart to say, I'm a dead person. I'm physically doomed to die. I'm constantly making a mess of life in community and wrecking it. And I really deserve nothing but God's judgment. But Jesus has brought me near to God. Jesus has risen from the dead, having died in my place, to prove that I'm destined for life eternal, that I'm going to be part of a whole new world that he's remaking, that I get to come inside a community like this, the church, and begin to really be loved and sheer loved in ways that I've never known. And, and that's going to last forever, and that's only going to get better. And God doesn't judge me. God welcomes me. God gave his son to die for me. Stupid, dumb, idiotic me. Screw up me. And he loves me, and he will not let me go. Do you have the vision to see that? Do the eyes of your hearts and minds have that? Jesus wants you to. That's what we're going to do. Troy's going to come in just in a bit and just give you a chance to, to share what you see from Jesus. I just encourage you, if you're a Christian, it doesn't matter what you don't have. You have everything and more that you need in Jesus. I, I went through a period where I was, I was so discouraged early in being a pastor and a church planner like Hutch is here now. And I, I was so discouraged. I was living in Austin, Texas and trying to get this church started. 
And, uh, and my mom and dad came to be with us for Easter. And, uh, and, and I preached about Easter meaning that everything is made new. And we have the beginning of that now in Jesus because we can know that our sins are forgiven. He died for our sins and was raised for our justification, Romans chapter 4. And that's what I preached on. My dad rode back from the church with me in the car and said, Son, son, I know it's hard for you right now, but isn't it amazing? If we have forgiveness of sins in Jesus, we have everything we could possibly need. And we both just started crying, <laughs> driving the van back, kids in the back, you know. Seeing that, God wants you to see it and to be full of joy, no matter what else is around you that's broken. It's so interesting about this guy, right? He hasn't gone back to see his family yet. He doesn't know if they're still alive even. He doesn't know if they'll take him back. If he's married, maybe his wife has moved on and married somebody else. Like, he doesn't know anything. Doesn't know if he's still got his job, if he was a farmer or a shepherd. Does he, is there anything to go back to? He doesn't even know what the priest is going to say. He just sees Jesus has done something for him in the middle of it all that makes him overwhelmed with gratitude. Eyes to see, okay? Second thing, and I think this is where the story really starts to get fun, feet that move. So this guy is with all the rest, right? And he's walking to go see the priest to get clearance to come back into life. Well, all those other guys keep walking that way, but this guy, when he sees that he gets healed, runs back to get in front of Jesus. His feet take him somewhere else, right in front of Jesus. Everybody got healed, right, from a distance. Everybody got the religious cleansing from a distance. But it's this guy whose feet take him back to give thanks to Jesus that gets near Jesus. You know what salvation is about? Yes, it is about all of those restorations, eternal life, Christian community in the church, forgiveness from the Father and welcome and love and all of that. But what it's ultimately about is that you have all of that so that you get to live in front of Jesus. You get to worship Jesus daily, continually. And what this story is telling you is the way that you do that is by giving thanks. You can get stuff from God from a distance. What did the prodigal son want? Dad, give me the stuff and let me go away. Dad, I want to treat you functionally like your dad and let me go off and do what I want. But it's when he comes back and repents and says, what I really want is just to be here with you. Let me just be a slave. And the father says, no, 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 no slave talk. Just come back and be my son and let's have a party. See, what God wants to give you is a closeness to Jesus that is the heart of eternal life. And you only experience that by taking yourself back in front of him to give him thanks. So let me ask you something. Are you like me most of your time praying to God or thinking about God or listening to stuff in church is how can God fix my life? I got this problem. I got a financial problem. I got this physical problem. 
I got this sin problem. I got this addictive problem. I got this problem with my kid. I got this problem with my mom now. now. God, I need you to fix all of that. Right? If you're, you like that, like that's what I spend my time with God on. I need you to fix this stuff. And I'm really just sort of like the group over here from a distance saying, Jesus, help me. Please help me. But it's when I actually stop and give thanks and prioritize a delight and a joy in Jesus for what he has already done for me, that I'm actually really living the Christian life God intends. How about you? Where are you with that? Jesus wants you to not only see it, he wants you to prioritize. You know, it's really interesting. The other nine guys are doing what you're supposed to do. You get healed leprosy, you're supposed to go check in with the priest. That's actually even what the Old Testament law said. You've got to go check in with the priest before you can come back and be around other people. This guy broke the rules, and Jesus loves it. Because he's breaking the rules to come express this deep joy and thanksgiving before him. So you got this space. I don't know how much time you'll get off. I don't know if you get any time off. Maybe you're working all week. But whatever space you got this week, maybe it's just today, here. Whatever space you got, I want to just urge you to take your feet and run to get in front of Jesus to give him thanks. If you're going to pray out loud with the group in a minute, great. If you're going to pray silently, great. But enter into that and and take that with you wherever you're going and whatever you're doing. You know, it's really interesting because wherever you are, you can worship and give thanks to Jesus. Whatever you're doing, it can be done as an expression of gratitude to him. Luke wants you to think about another story when he's writing this one, okay? It's a story that's in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a story about um, a man named Naaman. He's an enemy of God's people. He's captain of the Syrian guard, so he lives in this region that we're talking about. And he's captured a little girl on one of his raids and takes him back and makes her a servant for his wife. And he's got leprosy. And so he's a walking dead man, even though he's the general of the entire army. And the little girl says, there's a prophet back in my home that can make my master well. So he goes and he stands in front of the prophet Elisha, stands in front of his house in a chariot with soldiers and servants around him in front of Elisha's little house. And Elisha doesn't even come out but sends his servant out and says, my master says, go and dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. And Naaman is ticked. He is furious. Why am I doing this? We got way better rivers than that back home. And the man didn't even come out. The servant said, why don't we go try that? So they go to the Jordan, and he dips in the river seven times, and he is healed. His, his flesh is made like that of a baby. And so he comes running back in his chariot, like the one man, to Elisha, the prophet. And he says, can I give you something? Can I give you this silver I have with me? Can I give you all these clothes? And Elisha says, no, 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 your money is not good here. This is an expression of God's grace to you. This is free grace. He says, well, can you give me one more thing then? 
And Elisha says what? He says, I need to take with me two mule loads of dirt back so that wherever I am, even when I'm in a pagan temple that my master makes me go into, I can have dirt there and stand on it and worship the God of Israel who has saved me. You don't have to carry around dirt from outside of this building or any holy place, okay? Because you can give thanks to Jesus wherever you are. In even the most hostile places to God, you can give thanks. Your feet can take you in front of Jesus. Eyes that see, feet that move, and lastly, a body that lays out. What does this man do? He not only runs back to Jesus, but when he gets there, he falls on his face and with a loud voice gives praise and thanks to God. When I was a little boy, we used to, I mean, I loved, my favorite sport of all is football. I just loved it. I loved it and loved it and loved it. And we'd play in the neighborhood all the time. But I loved the weekends because my dad would come out and play with me. And I would say, Dad, I want to play real football. He said, okay, son, let's play real football. I said, Dad, that means I want you to not throw the ball to me. I want you to throw it way out in front of me so I have to dive for it, to catch it and slide along the ground. Because that's real football. Like, that's what they do, the big guys play. And so he would do that over and over me, and I would just dive along the ground myself up, dirty myself up. It was great. Loved it. Real Christianity, guys, is diving and laying out in front of Jesus. It's not just seeing all that God has done and saying, I'm going to prioritize and make my life a place of thanksgiving like I am going to lay out to express gratitude to God. So what's that look like? That means, okay, when you worship God on your own at home, and I hope you do, I hope you have spaces where you just set apart time to pray and give thanks to God in your home. One of my professors, when I was studying to be a pastor, said, you know what? You're a Presbyterian. This is a Presbyterian seminary. We're not really good at worship. <laughs> we don't know how to raise our hands or get on our knees very good, we're, we're cruddy at that. But when you are there before God in your own home, find a space that is private so that you can stand up and raise your arms before God, so that you can kneel down before God, so that you can dance before God, and so that you can get full out on your face before God. So it starts there. I want to just encourage you to think about how you can take your whole being and express gratitude to God. But, but it's beyond that, right? It's like what this means is to be extravagant in your thanks to God. Wherever he has you, he has given you everything that you have for life and blessing in Jesus. He has given you everything you had from the creation. In